You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church yet again. If you are here for the first time, and I know uh, several of you are, we extend to you a very special welcome. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace Community Church. And you're here on a good day. You may or may not know that we're having a potluck immediately after um, the service this morning. So I want to encourage everybody who will, please stay We've got a lot of food in there. We spilled some of ours coming over. Allison said, my wife said, she said in the Australian accent, so that's always cool, no matter what she says. But she said, we spilled some. And I'm thinking, well, you could have worse things in your car than the smell of potluck food on the way to church, so I'm okay with that. Hopefully you'll stay. Uh, I do want to mention one thing, those of you who know Joe and Stefania uh, Hunziker from Italy. They're in the country, and Joe and Mattia and Joya are in Raleigh at another church, hoping to be here for <clears throat> potluck if they're able, but maybe not. Uh, if um, they have connection with the pastor, they'll stay, but otherwise they're getting back here, hot-footing it back to Harnett County for some good food. Then Stefania is also in Raleigh, but she is at Rex Hospital. She had appendicitis this week and with prior surgeries, a few little complications, hopefully coming home today, but pray for her. And Gina Woodall was up here a while ago with severe back pain. Uh, You wouldn't have known it, but certainly want to think about her. Just lots of stuff going on. Please look at your bulletin uh, and pray this week for those folks. A lot of other good things going on. South Wake Bible Institute. Let me just make a plug again. And Grace Connection. Look at those two uh, announcements in, in your bulletin. Well, I want to ask you a question or two. When was the moment that you knew you belonged to Jesus? When was the moment that you saw the light, as we say, and you believed not only that Jesus died for for sins and for sinners, but that he died for you. Now, it could be that you're wanting to start looking around and saying, am I in the right place? Uh, This seems a little bit strange to me. I can assure you, you're in the right place. It's possible that you may find answers to questions that you have had, such as, what is up with these Christians and what they believe about Jesus? I mean, I hear Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What is that all about? And why are they so passionate about what they believe? For those of you who follow Jesus, uh, you may have a very dramatic testimony. I got to say, when I was 18 years old, and it was a pretty big deal, small town, I was pretty wicked, but, it, but the Lord saved me dramatically. And several of others of you, I know you have those testimonies. Others of you grew up in a Christian home and can never remember a time when you did not believe the, the tenets of the Christian faith. But for most of you, I know like several teenagers who joined our church last year, when you get 15 years old, we ask you to go through Grace Connection Uh, And then join the church if you want to. You're a member, sort of a junior member when you come into the church with your parents and you're baptized. But you get full membership at 15. And a lot of those teenagers said, you know, we remember the time. Uh, I remember the time uh, when I prayed a prayer when I was young, and I've believed this all along, but I went away on a mission trip last year, or I went to camp, or I went to a certain time, and it really hit me full force. I'm a sinner in need of Christ. Not that they weren't saved, but it's just when it all began to make sense. If you are at Grace for the first time, you may want to know what we believe about the Bible and how we understand what it says to a world that is 2,000 years removed from the events and letters that were written in Jesus' day. 
We affirm that the Bible is God's word. We believe that God is able to keep his word pure. And it is the final authority for what we believe and how we behave. Furthermore, when someone is up here preaching on Sunday morning, and that may be several of us. I'm the primary guy who preaches on Sunday morning, but several of our staff and elders will preach from time to time and others as well. Uh, and all of us follow, though, the same principle. We have different styles, but we follow the same principle. And that is, we seek to allow the scripture to inform the message, not a, an idea that is very prominent in our day to go back and look for a text that will prove the point that is being made in the contemporary culture. Uh, this past year, on Sunday mornings, uh, we have devoted, been devoted to working through John's gospel, and today we're in John chapter 9, the whole chapter. If you think we've had several, haven't had any chapter yet, well, we've taken the whole chapter. Well, that's going to happen today. One of the interesting things you discover when you work through a book, rather than preaching on topics, and there's nothing wrong with preaching on topics, but when you work through a book, the very issues that are prominent in the day are addressed in the scripture. Over and over, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. This is exactly, in fact, after the first service, I was talking with the gentleman and he said, I just, I just sat there and I couldn't believe everything that happened in Jesus' day is happening today. Maybe the setting is a little bit different, but the same issues, it all works together. And it's what's, the more we change the more we stay the same. If our church is committed to understanding scripture through expository preaching, then we're going to end up taking our instructions from God's word rather than coming to the Bible with our own notions and beliefs that have been shaped by the culture and personal experiences. Don't misunderstand me. What's happening today is very important. God put us in this place and time. But scripture speaks to it. We don't have to go back on the basis of what we're seeing all around us and look at scripture and say, ah, that just really doesn't work today. It does. But you've got to be committed to understanding it and studying it in the way that it was written and then let it speak to the events of today. So even if we're preaching topical messages, and when I say we, I mean all those who would be preaching. Our commitment is to be true to the text and to the larger context of God's word. In John 9, we're going to read a fascinating story that explains itself. It explains itself, that is, if you've been here and you've been tracking through the gospel of John, it will all make sense. It's like, yep, yep, I've seen that before. It begins to fall in, into place. In just a moment, I'm going to read the first seven verses of John chapter 9 and then provide a few main themes to anticipate in this chapter before we work our way through the text. And if you're thinking that John 9, which has 41, I think 41 verses in it, that this is going to take a couple of hours, that's a pretty good guess. Well, no, I'm just kidding. But it is time to get started. It's our custom to stand as God's word is being read. So I'll ask you if you would please stand for the reading of John chapter 9 verses 1 through 7. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. <coughs> as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Then verse 4, I'm going to read this and then say just a word about it. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Look at the grammar there. We must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no man can work. 
Jesus calls his followers to participate in the work that the Lord sent him to do. It's not our job to save the world. We can't do anything to save the world. But it's both our privilege and responsibility to point others to the light, to the one who can save them. The hour is late, though. The night is coming when no one can work, so we have work to do. Verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Symbolism all the way through the Gospel of John. Jesus is the sent one. So he sends the man to the pool that means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth and the power and the relevance of your word. And as we read this story that happened nearly 2,000 years ago, Lord, may we see ourselves, may we see opportunities, may we see needs. Most of all, may we see Jesus. May he be exalted this morning in our midst. And in his, in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks and be seated. So three major themes that we're going to consider uh, before we work through this fascinating story that features an extremely likable man, if you're a Christ follower, follower you really like this guy. Uh, we could spend anywhere from weeks to years on each one of these themes, but alas, we have mere minutes. So I'll talk fast, you listen fast, we'll uh, move on. First of all, the confusion surrounding suffering. I'm not talking about the problem of evil, theodicies, all of those theological terms. But we could talk for a long time about the problem of suffering. Why is there suffering in the world? And in fact, why? how can a, a sovereign and, and an omnipotent, an all-powerful God who loves us also allow the evil that happens uh, in the world and in our own lives? Uh, we won't go into all of the details, but let's just think about it on the level that this man was suffering. So let me ask you a question. Have, have you suffered significantly in your life? I'm guessing that some of you are going to say, no, just not old enough. But you know what? It, really, suffering is, it, it is not discriminatory. It, it'll hit you when you're young as well as when you're old. I'm going to imagine that most of you will say, yes, I've suffered. And surely, suffering is relative. You may suffer more later. But I'd say there's a good chance that you've suffered, whether we're struggling with a temporary or a chronic physical condition or the loss of a job or dealing with a relationship gone bad or losing someone that we love dearly to death or divorce. Not doesn't have to be that you lose your spouse, but a parent to divorce. Our hearts hurt. We know suffering, no matter how it compares to the suffering of others. And usually, when we suffer, our first impulse is to blame someone. Some people say, what did I do? What did, did I do something, God? Did I do something wrong to deserve this? Or, why, God, have you done this to me? We're looking for somebody to blame. But more than likely, it's somebody else, just like the disciples asking Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? They were following the conventional wisdom of the day. Now, that's not the conventional wisdom of the day. Man, if you looked at someone with a handicap and said, uh, with some sort of a disability, see, I'm in trouble even for saying the word handicap. A disability, if you looked at someone with a disability and said, who sinned, this guy or his parents, you would be shunned. I mean, everybody's like, how dare you? That wasn't the case in that day. And even in our day, when we're much more 
careful about how we say that or more cautious about how we say things like that, we're thinking, mm-hmm, I wonder what's up here. And sometimes it's like, yeah, God, get him. Be careful with that kind of a, a spirit because that's one of those times where Matthew 7 is very relevant. Do not judge lest you be judged. No one would ask it today, but the thinking in Jesus' day was a result of biblical understanding gone awry or taken too far. Genesis teaches us that Adam's sin is the cause of all suffering in the world. Now, let me, let me just say this. Sometimes there are simplistic explanations for big problems. But sometimes there are simple explanations that are not simplistic in the least. And so you look around and say, why is all of this happening? Scripture says it's because of sin. It's because of Adam's sin. And we all suffer as a result. Romans 8 says that all creation suffers along with the individuals. The New Testament is consistent theologically in understanding the effects of the fall. Now, yes, there are examples in both the Old Testament and the New Testament of individual suffering because of their sin. But there are also plenty of examples where individual suffering is not at all the fault of a person, but rather people suffer because of the fall. The suffering that is caused by the fall is general and it affects all creation. And in a sense, when Jesus causes this blind man to see, he is announcing that he is lifting the effects of the curse, the effects of the fall. And one day, all is going to be made new, but, but the New Testament tells us that Jesus is making all things new. In other words, trying to get us to understand not only as this is now, that's then, but it's all part of the same plan that God has, and it's where we'll see a little bit later, suffering comes into play for the future that makes for a beautiful story altogether. So, suffering caused by the fall is general and affects all creation, but it's also specific. It affects every human being with a state of spiritual blindness. And as this sixth sign in John's gospel symbolizes, so again, if you're just getting here, John has seven signs in his gospel. He doesn't call them miracles, but these are signs that point to the validity of what Jesus is saying. Jesus does the miracles, therefore, listen to him. They're signs that point to him being exactly who he says he is. So the sixth sign in John's gospel symbolizes this. We only receive sight when God takes the initiative, and that's the focus of the second theme. God's intervention in our helpless state. Maybe one of our biggest issues in our day is that we think everything can be fixed. Not everything can be fixed. But we think, we want to think everything could be fixed. And a lot of things are fixed. A lot of things get, <clears throat> get some attention and they're much better after we have used the resources that are available to us and the opportunities and the, and the advances, the technological advances. But if someone's been born blind from birth, it's unlikely, at least in the next five to 10 years, that he or she is going to receive sight. You may have noticed that it was Jesus who saw the blind man, and he stopped. Now, everybody must have known this guy because the disciples then say, Lord, this man was blind, born blind. We all know that. Who sinned, this man or his parents? There was absolutely nothing that the blind man could do to gain sight. This story comes soon after Jesus had told the crowds that he is the light of the world. We spent Several weeks in John 7 and 8, which all occurred on the last day of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Now it's probably some weeks later and Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. And he spits 
into the ground, onto the dirt, makes mud, and puts the mud in the man's eyes and tells him to go to wash in the pool of Siloam. And he comes back seeing. I told these guys on the front row that this is a biblical... I'm trying to be biblical, so if they get spit on, it's their fault, you know, for sitting on the front row. But I'm preaching about spit, so it's especially, you know, appropriate that if it, if it happens, it just happens. Think about what happened here, though. Jesus takes this really strange action, or it's strange to us anyway. He makes mud with his spit and puts it on the man's eyes. Everything that's happened so far in these first seven verses is all at Jesus' initiative. The man didn't ask to be healed like blind Bartimaeus. It will, we won't encounter in John, but Jesus will encounter later in his ministry who called out, Lord, save, help us, give us sight, please. But the action was at Jesus' initiative. We may think that we are seeking God, but he is the one who initiates any relationship that we have with him. So if you're here this morning and you're trying to figure it all out, you're saying, okay, I'm beginning to understand it. It could very well be that the Lord, that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to repentance before the Lord and, and to place your only hope of heaven in, in what Jesus did on the cross in dying for sinners in our place. Do not waste this moment when the Savior is in your presence and is in your business. Why is it so important? Because of the third major theme that we will consider this morning. Spiritual sight or blindness. It is an eternal life or death condition. As you can see, we're not spending a whole lot of time on these major themes, but you could be assured that there are more than these in there. We've repeatedly encountered these themes in John, and especially this last one. Either we belong to God for all eternity through Jesus, or we face judgment through all eternity apart from Jesus. That's all I'm going to say about this point right now, but its relevance will be clear as we work our way through the text. And we've spent ample time in the first seven verses. So we're going to pick up in verse 8. And then just ask the Lord to put you in Jerusalem on that day. This story is told beautifully. You know how people tell stories and you're almost there with them. We've got two or three, several actually good, great storytellers in our congregation. And sometimes when they're telling the story, you just feel like you're just sitting right there with them. Well, that's where we're going today. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. <clears throat> Others said, No, but he is like him. And the man kept saying, I'm the man. Hello, I'm here. I'm the one. So they said to them, Then how were your eyes opened? This is comical, right? This is a funny scene. People will do anything to deny a good argument against their beliefs. To the point of saying, no, it's not him. It just looks like him. This is a, this is a bait and switch. This is a, a, or a, 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 the old switcheroo. Somebody, has, his, he's got a twin brother or something. This is not the guy. God has a wonderful sense of humor. If... You will see it. It's on display throughout the whole Bible. We tend to read the Bible, thus says the word of God. But I'm telling you, the people in this setting were dying laughing. Some of them were laughing. It's like, really? You can't say, of course it's the guy. No, it's not him. I, it's me. No, it's not you. Look, I, I debated. My problem is if something comes into my mind, I just don't have enough filter. I mean, how can you tell an analogy with a Bud Light commercial, but this, I'm going to do it. Back in the day, there was a guy, and only a handful of you will remember, the no-name defense. Who was the team that played, had the no-name defense? Anybody know? Miami Dolphins. 
Nick Bonacani was a guy who was on the no-name defense. And so he's in the, uh, in the bar there, and he's talking about how he was on the no-name defense. And this guy comes in, and he says, I know who you are. And he's like, Nick Bonacani. He said, no, that's not it. <laughs> and so, no, 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 that's not it. Well, that's exactly what's happening on this day. They're saying, it's not you. He's like, it's me, it's me. Verse 11. After he has been asked, How, what happened to you? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I, I don't know. I, I wish I knew. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. So they're like, come on. We got to go to the religious leaders. We got to take you over there. In fact, there were probably some Pharisees who were sitting around. They didn't think anything was funny about this. And they're like, let's go. So he's marched over to an area where the Pharisees are gathered. Now it was a Sabbath day. This is crucial. Anytime you see this in the Gospels, know that this is a big deal. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The man knows he is on trial and he's not intimidated. He knows that the Pharisees hate Jesus. He knows the right answer, but he doesn't give it. He calls Jesus a prophet and this was not what the authorities wanted to hear. Verse 18. <clears throat> the Jews did not believe they had been born blind. Okay, so it's all right. Okay. You're the man, but you weren't born blind. They didn't believe he had been born blind and receive his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews, whenever John talks about the Jews, he's talking about the religious leaders. Mostly Pharisees, some Sadducees. He's talking about the, the Jewish leaders. He said that they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. With support like this from your parents, Now, if you knew what it meant to be put out of the synagogue, you would at least understand why his parents were reluctant to support their son publicly, even if you were justifiably critical over their lack of joy. I mean, why wouldn't they be saying, oh, yeah, he can see. We're so happy. And why they wouldn't stand with him, knowing that he was in serious trouble for doing nothing, absolutely nothing, except affirming the one who had healed him. To be put out of the synagogue meant that you were utterly cut off from the Jewish community. Now, just imagine this. No one was permitted to do business with you or to even speak with you. Think of the contrasting courage between the man and his parents. Verse 24. So for the second time, 
They called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Which of course he meant. <laughs> He's not a sinner. I was blind, I see. Do you not make the connection? They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, there are a few things to consider here. Even though this was the man's second official appearance before the Jewish leaders, this is the third time he's been asked, how did Jesus heal you? Why the interest in Jesus' method of healing? Well, we've already pointed out that this miracle, this sign was done on the Sabbath. And one of the laws of the oral traditions that had so enslaved the Jews was a prohibition against spitting on the Sabbath. Because your spittle may land on the ground, run downhill, and as it does, it may make mud. And making mud was prohibited on the Sabbath. Now, you think that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, and it is. But we have rules and regulations that are almost as ridiculous at times. Think about it. Making mud was considered work and thus it was a Sabbath violation. Every time in the New Testament that Jesus was accused of breaking the Sabbath, he was not in violation of the law as revealed in Genesis through Deuteronomy in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. But he was in violation of the rules that the Pharisees had added to help people keep the law. We do that all the time. I hear it a lot. Well, just to be safe. Just to be safe. Let's add this rule. Just to be safe. Let's add that rule. Man, it's hard parenting, isn't it? I think probably I would hate to be principal of a Christian school. You would be... The temptation to add rule after rule after regulation would be enormous. And, and, and the problem with this, of course, is that rules become laws. And they take on the same level of importance of God's word. That's what had happened in Jesus' time. You could say, in a sense, that as Jesus put mud... On the blind man's eyes, in a sense, he was putting mud in the faces of the Pharisees to reveal truth, to say, let's get this issue on the table. You are slaves to these laws that you have built. You think you gain freedom in them, but they have only enslaved you. Unfortunately, though not surprisingly, the conclusion of the Pharisees was that Jesus was a sinner. Could it be that they were the ones who were blind? Every time the man tells his story, his testimony becomes more concise. He summarizes in verse 25. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now <coughs> I see. What a great model to follow when others mock you for your faith because you're not academic enough in your defense of the gospel, or you're not religious enough, or you're not woke enough, simply say, one thing I know, I was blind, now I see. Verse 27. He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples, ha, ha, laughter all over the place. Everybody's just howling with laughter, almost certainly. It's not like we think it was. Oh, what, do you wish to become his disciple also? Well, I know, um, we don't. There, there was just this... But it's such a serious matter. Exactly. It is one of the saddest things. It's, I am so sad for those of you who were young. I'm so sad 
Our culture has lost its sense of humor. There are comedians everywhere who refuse to do routines on college campuses. Nothing's funny anymore. Things are funny. Even the most serious things. It's what's happening right here. God, sense of humor. What do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And then the Pharisees laugh. No, they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Now, now here's an interesting thing. In John 7 and 8, they have said they know all about him. He's from Nazareth. No prophet comes from Nazareth. He was born illegitimately. They know that he didn't have, that Joseph was not his father. They didn't know about the virgin birth, but they know that Joseph was not his father. So they know all kinds of things about him. But now it's convenient and they say, we don't know where this man comes from. The man who was healed answered in verse 30 using the Pharisees' logic against them. The man answered, verse 30, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. It's very much like the Pharisees, and he's putting it on their level where they can understand it. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, you blind. Oh, wait, he's not blind. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. From this point on, the man is ostracized from Jewish life. There's a decent chance his own parents will no longer speak with him. He may have been at this point homeless. Look, if, if we were to cast out Chad Moody, they always convenient pick on Chad Moody. What if we cast out Chad Moody and said, you're out of here? Chad and Sarah would go down the road, and they'd talk about us, right, to, at another church. And they'd be saying, oh, those people at Grace Community Church. It's different, though. This man walks out, and nobody will have anything to do with him. Was it worth it? Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit is asking us. Is it worth it to follow your... Follow Jesus when your family thinks you're a fool? When you're almost certain that one of the reasons you're passed over for promotion is because of your faith in Jesus? Not that you're telling the gospel every day, all day long. It's just that they know what you believe. And they think your beliefs are not only out of step, but maybe some are beginning to think your beliefs are, are dangerous. <laughs> is it worth it? Take courage from the John 9 man. John 9 man. There we go. That, that sort of sounds like a, a James Taylor song, Walking Man. You know, the walking man walks. The John 9 man. Take courage from this guy. This man went from one form of suffering to another type of suffering. But it didn't seem to bother him this time. Here's a beautiful truth. If you're cast out because of your stand for Jesus, you can be assured that Jesus is looking for you. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Think about this. Everything this man has said to the Pharisees, he's not even seen Jesus. He doesn't even know all that he needs to know about who it was that healed him. But he stood firm and he answered who is he sir that I may believe in him Jesus said to him you have seen him and it is he 
who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Don't you know? Some of you know exactly this moment. When it all comes together and you just believe you make sense. And why do we believe? We just do. We just do. And when we come face to face with Jesus, we'll do what this man does. We'll say, I believe and worship him. This is a good posture for any who are suffering. Now look, the suffering that this man endured um, was because of his stand for Christ. But scripture indicates that some suffering is coming from Satan. Yet God's allowance, God is sovereign, he allows it all. But just like Job, it could be that there's some great spiritual warfare going on around you. You never, you never wanted to be heard in heaven, have you seen my servant, Paul Chazinski? I mean, you, Paul's not, they don't want to hear that, you know. And Satan is saying, yeah, let me have my, my go at him. <clears throat> Who knows why you're suffering? If you are hurting because of loss, or if you're in pain, or the future is uncertain, may I encourage you on this day to worship Jesus. <clears throat> Ask him to increase your faith. And though you may engage him entirely differently tomorrow. If you're suffering today, go home and worship Jesus. In the end, you will find that your suffering has meaning. Even if you do not understand fully until you see Jesus face to face. It's one of the advantages about being a Christian for so long. Things are different than they used to be, but things make a lot more sense than they used to. And if there's one thing that has encouraged my heart so much recently is to understand that all things that happen here are going to have a huge meaning in eternity as we spend our lives and forever with Jesus Christ. And the bad things that happen here are going to be so meaningful in good ways there. Do you think heaven is going to be better having suffered or not having suffered? Who do you think was more excited about Jesus that day? The blind man or, or his disciples? I think the blind man. He had seen for the first time everything around him. He was deeply in love with Jesus. And when we come face to face with Jesus... It's going to all make sense. The final verses in John 9 are haunting. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world. That those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. So read, read these verses with, an, with a broken heart. Not with this, yeah. Man, he told them, I have come so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. The likely chronology of events of John 9 would have this miracle happening, this public trial. The man is cast out. Jesus finds him in a private conversation, speaks very tenderly to him. And then later in public, the whole city is abuzz with this miracle that has happened. And Jesus comments would be very much on point. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Even if the Pharisees had wanted to understand Jesus, they would have been confused. Jesus' mission and message were counterintuitive. In the Old Testament, 
We see how God blesses people on the basis of their belief, but the law was given. And, and, and the law said, if you obey the law, if you serve me, you will be blessed in every way imaginable. If you break the law, you will be cursed. But the problem is, not the problem was, the problem is none of us can keep the law. Now, we can do like the Pharisees and fashion a law that even though it seems really strict to other people, it works for us. People who, who tend to think that they're good works, people who see according to what Jesus says, people who think that their good works are going to be good enough to, for God to say, you're a great one. Come on in. I tell you, angels, have you seen that Ted McKinney? That guy is something else. I think we got to let him in. We got to. Not so sure about the others. All around him. Just kidding. All around Ted. But we got to let Ted in. People who think like that and think that God is that way tend to fashion a law that they can keep. And they always compare themselves with people who they think are worse than them. There's some, you know, some of us have this guilt complex. Look, guilt is my constant companion. <clears throat> Not nearly as bad as it was when I was younger. So I'm comparing myself with people who are better. But, but most of us tend to look the other way. I cannot, you cannot believe uh, can only imagine as pastor some of the things that I've heard over the years. I think one of the things that makes me want to just laugh is someone who is living in a fairly significant sin, looking at other people and say, oh, I just can't believe what they're doing. I just can't believe it. We find a way to make ourselves acceptable to God, but Jesus came so that those who see might become blind. But those who were aware of their needs might be made well and be able to see. If you make a list of rules like the Pharisees and then you keep it religiously, you're in good shape as far as this world is concerned. But if sin is first a condition and then an act, we are all doomed because we are all born spiritually blind. Only Jesus can open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. The problem for the Pharisees was that they failed to acknowledge their spiritual condition. Thus, they were incapable of being healed spiritually. The good news for us is that when we recognize who we are before the Lord, and we don't recognize that unless the Lord opens our eyes. When we recognize that we are sinners who need to be redeemed, and the Father is at that moment drawing us to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And this may well be the day when Jesus opens your eyes. Why are you here this morning? Have you asked yourself that question? Why did I come? Well, look, if all of this makes sense, you're starting to say, wait a minute. I thought that the Christian life meant you just do the best you can and hope everything will come out all right. But now, I think I'm like this blind man. I've got a need that I can't fix. And call out to Jesus and say, oh God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me. Don't leave here today without eating. That's a big deal. But especially don't leave here until you know where you stand with Jesus. And if you're not sure, ask somebody who invited you. Or two or three of you came together and you're like, I don't know, I don't know. Ask me, ask somebody that you are familiar with here. We would love to help you understand that. Only the Lord can fully help you understand that, but we could share what the scripture says. 
Make sure where you stand with Jesus. Let's pray. Before I pray, I just want to mention to you that on the last day of the, the month, of the last Sunday of the month, that is, we take an offering that is for benevolence or for helping those who are in need. First, those in our church and then those outside of our church. Um, so, if you're here for the first time, we don't typically take up two offerings uh, on a Sunday. But the last Sunday of the month we do, and we'll be doing that for just a moment. But let me just say again, if you don't know Jesus, call out to him. He will save you. You don't have to do it out loud. We're not, not going to have an invitation where you come forward. But just in your heart, say, oh, Lord Jesus, save me. I need you. And he will do it. If you are a believer and your eyes have been opened and you have seen the light who is Jesus Christ, we are not only invited, we are commanded to share this wonderful news with other people. There are going to be people who don't listen to it and don't receive it, and they're going to be angry with you. And in that case, just worship Jesus. Lord, we recognize that we have no hope apart from you. We say collectively as a church, thank you, Jesus, for making a way, for opening our eyes and drawing us to believe the gospel. We ask that you would Encourage our hearts as we share with one another this meal that so many have beautifully prepared together. And may our fellowship be genuine fellowship in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.